see the thing is we are almost like a bank if someone opens an account with us and keeps his hard earned money with us you know in terms of stocks he's trusting us like the way he trusts a bank and and that trust is extremely hard to get it's very easy to build a transactional platform where you go transact and and you know it's kind of deals done you know like this is one of these like you go on a weekend date you know you don't really care about uh, you know who that person is right but if you're going to get married you know you're going to care quite a bit so so uh, uh, a bank a broker or you're almost like getting into a marriage because you're you're getting into this relationship thinking i'm going to be dealing with this person or you know this this brand for for my lifetime and that is really really hard to own and uh and i think that is really a lot more valuable than the revenues that we have today right and and that's what comes through all the 65 lakh customers who may not be really generating too much revenue for us but the fact that they trust us uh with almost 200000 crores plus of securities so that's how much uh customer securities uh, are sitting in our demand accounts is I, i can't really think of too many brands out there who who uh you know who have that much trust but Hello and welcome to episode 3 of First Principles. A new podcast from the Ken where we ask some of India's most successful entrepreneurs and leaders about their lenses. These are the mental lenses that equip them to see and interact with the world differently than others. On the one hand, these could be their personal philosophies, mental models or decision-making frameworks. And on the other hand, their reading habits, parenting styles or personal interests. I'm Rohan Dharmakumar, CEO and co-founder of the Ken and the host of this show. My endeavor is to make each episode an authentic, candid and insightful conversation about the lenses each guest puts on and how they help them navigate both work and life differently than most of us. My guest for our third episode is Nitin Kamath, the Bangalore-based co-founder and CEO of Zeroda. India's largest online stock broker. But the Zeroda we see today almost didn't make it had Nitin been successful at something most startup founders take as a given. Raising funds from venture capitalists. Zeroda is what it is today because Nitin believes they dodged the bullet of venture capital. So let's dive right in and see the world through Nitin's lenses. Hi Nitin and welcome to the podcast. Thanks uh, Rohan for having me on this. And congratulations on crossing 10 million customers. You yeah, did a tweet thread on this. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to tell us like you know about this occasion? I mean um it had to happen at some point of time. So but then you know like in today's world we use every opportunity to kind of put the word out there that we are doing okay. And why do you say it had to happen? I mean I like that confidence but No I mean No, we were at ninety lakh accounts, so we would get to one crore. I mean, at some point, right? So it's, um, so yeah, so it's, uh, but yeah, but one crore is quite crazy because when we first started the business, you know, I still have the first business plan of sorts I had made, and and the best case outcome there was hundred thousand new customers, and we we're like, you know, like 
That was like my long term plan, like hundred thousand active traders on the platform. So yeah, so which year was this? Two thousand ten, you know, when we started. Uh, I mean, just before starting, you know. So yeah, I mean, it's not really a business plan. I just drafted a bunch of points, and I was like, the best case outcome here is if we can get two hundred thousand users. How did you get to that number, if I may ask? I mean, just random, you know, like. like <laughs> I mean, that's I, interesting <laughs> because um, you know this is the most common question that you get uh, when meeting an investor. It's like, what what analysis did did you do? A bottom up analysis? Did you do a top down analysis? So yeah, no, I mean, I've I have with time kind of you know uh, started acknowledging that all of that is hocus pocus. You know, so <laughs> life's all about business and life is all about right place, right time. I mean, you will grow as much as you can grow. And you know these targets and setting goals, etc. It's you know it's kind of useless. You know? So, and and that's how I think you know the business has also evolved over the last ten, twelve years. Thanks. Uh, I'd like to take you back to an interview you did with us in December 2020. In it, you said we were doing okay in life, didn't have great ambitions to make this a large company. We saw it as a comfortable lifestyle business, even if it succeeded. and this is very important because one of the biggest put downs investors and vcs have for entrepreneurs is that it looks like this is a hobby business this is a lifestyle business and you thought you were starting a lifestyle business and you ended up building a 10 million customer stock broking business which is great continuing with that conversation you also said to be very honest if i was an e- a vc or an investor back then i wouldn't have invested in myself because there was no pedigree no vision or no ambitions now i bring this up to just essentially cover the space that you've traveled between starting what you thought was a lifestyle business to where we are today and i would like to have you and you said no vc would invest in this kind of a business right what if you were a vc today and you were to look at zero da How would you value this business? What would you look at? A uh, value zero the of twenty twenty two. That's right. How would you value it? What metrics would you look at? How would you arrive at a valuation? I'm an insider. As in, if if I was a VC knowing everything that I know, I wouldn't value as much as what people think is a value of zero the. You know, so because we are all a, right. Discount the insider information. The information that you share externally, number no, of externally customers. right now, you know, we are very, very, very valuable. I mean, I've I've gotten. Blank. I'm going to press you. <laughs> I've gotten blank check offers to get stake in the business, you know, and you know, where people have told me go buy an island, buy a you know plane and stuff like that. So uh, you know, it's just you know, we're in the top of the bull market, and stockbrokers historically have been most valuable at the top of the bull market. So so yeah, so if if I was an external you know person who had no kind of insider knowledge about the industry um i don't know i mean an icsi direct is at 3 billion dollars and i would say at least twice of that okay 6 billion dollars for what you thought would one day be a comfortable lifestyle business and that's that's a great way for us to start our conversation we're going to start our podcast by going through a section where we tell our listeners about the company and like what it stands for i have a 12 year old son right uh there is this reddit concept of eli 5 explain like i'm 5 so i'm going to ask you for the eli 12 explanation of what zero dies yeah mm-hmm. 
Yeah, like 12. I mean, that's quite a challenge. Okay, so, um, uh, yeah. Now, if, whenever you start making money, right, um, you have to either, you know, whatever you earn, you, you have to save it, right? You have to save it for your retirement. And if you're saving, you can either keep it in a bank or, you know, buy real estate or buy gold or invest into companies. And the reason I think you need to invest into companies is because uh, in, you know, by the time you're 52, you know, 40 years from now, if you have to do well with your investments, uh, with your savings, uh, you should beat inflation, right? Inflation is essentially how much, you know, money, value of your money you're depreciating every year. So the only way to be able to do it is by investing in companies that are growing faster than inflation. Because if you keep money in your fixed deposit, you're going to be at inflation. So you still don't really net gain anything. And um, so, yeah, so you're into investing in companies. And if you want to invest in companies, you need a stockbroker. And if you need a stockbroker, you know, you're probably right there at the top, you know, in terms of whom you should select. Thank you for that. I'm definitely going to run this explanation past him <laughs> and give you his feedback as well. What all does Zerodha do today? Yeah, so... Primarily a stockbroker, so you can uh, buy and sell stocks, you can you know, speculate, you can uh, speculate using trading derivatives, commodities, currencies, you, uh, you can invest in mutual funds, uh, so we have a, a direct mutual fund platform called Coin. Uh, so we started Rain Matter in 2016, which is like a fintech startup, kind of a fund, incubator, whatever you can call it. Uh, through that startup, we have built like this niche platforms on top of us by partnering startups. So there is, you know, like, you know, think of it as an Android and Play Store, uh, you know, so where you get access to all of these niche uh, platforms. So, so yeah, so um, a bunch of those which are built on top of us. Uh, we have a loan against securities business. So we have an NBFC license where we lend money against the stocks uh, at very low interest rates and no penalties and all of that. But So that it's easier to speculate. Uh, no, Cheaper I, to speculate. So the thing is, and that's why it's hidden. Like, you know, most of our customers don't even know that we have a loan against securities business because uh, we even take a declaration from the customer that you know, he'll not use the money towards trading more. Uh, but we kind of have realized that, you know, there's no way of stopping it. You know, <laughs> I can declare and still use it, which is not really the use case for which we're building the loan against securities business. The reason we're building it is because you can borrow at 10 and 10 and a half percent. You know, so, you know, people are borrowing personal finance loans or credit card outstandings, you know, 20 plus to 30 plus percent. And so if someone has stocks and he still has a credit card outstanding or a personal loan, it, it's a no-brainer. You know, you take it at 10 and a half, clear the loan out, you know, whatever is at a higher rate. So, but yeah, but that is a use case in our mind. But but I understand that people can borrow to speculate. So that's why we we kept it as a hidden feature of sorts in a zoo. And uh, we... Uh, we also have started Rain Matter Foundation, which is uh, one and a half years old now. So, so we're investing in climate tech startups and nonprofits which are working around climate change and creation of livelihoods. So, so that's that's Zerodha in all. Thanks for that. That's all the business lines you're in. If I were to spin this question around in a different way and ask you, if if, if our listeners were to visualize your revenue mix as it comes in as a as a pie chart, what would be the top three? Um, I mean, it's just, I mean, so revenue is just completely skewed towards broking and brokerage fees. So, so almost everything we earn is, is from broking revenue. So that means, you know, every time a customer of ours transacts, 
he pays a small amount of commissions to us you know so we charge 20 rupees per trade uh we don't charge if someone's investing uh so if you buy a stock with the intention to hold it for you know, more than one day we don't charge any commissions but if you're intending to speculate which is you know day trade or buy futures and options then we charge 20 rupees a trade um now now you probably question saying how do you make money because i don't know anyone who speculates in uh, trades in fno so in the stock markets 90% of all transactions turnover comes from people who are speculating but it comes really only from 10% of the people that means you know more out of 10 people that you know around you nine people are equity investors who, who don't pay as any commissions and that one person who trades trades so much that he you know we make some money off him so so yeah so traders kind of subsidize investors uh, most of our customers are investors so they don't really pay as anything but we also you know gotten very lucky that we first started building the business for very active traders that means you know we first built the business for revenue generating customers and then we kind of extended into this you know equity investor class who don't really generate as much revenue for us uh so that can i can yeah. i interrupt you there so does that mean that out of the 10 million customers that you have the vast majority do not contribute direct revenue for you i mean yeah i mean so why i mean i'm i'm going to ask a very direct question right what is the value in having them as customers for zeroda yeah so uh, no we we charge an account as annual maintenance charge so we make 300 rupees from every active customer of ours that means you know out of that one uh, crore i think 65 lakh customers have pay us 300 rupees so it kind of economies of scale kind of kick in you know when you're talking large numbers so it's it's still kind of you know if you look at our overall revenue you know that what we make this annual maintenance charge doesn't really add up you know so it's it's still like 5 6 7% of our revenues you know so uh but also the thing about you know the thing about building trust and you know people having trust in you. see the thing is we are almost like a bank if someone opens an account with us and keeps his hard earned money with us you know in terms of stocks he's trusting us like the way he trusts the bank and and that trust is extremely hard to get it's very easy to build a transactional platform where you go transact and and you know it's kind of deals done you know like this is one of these like you go on a weekend date you know you don't really care about uh, you know who that person is right but if you're going to get married you know you're going to care quite a bit so so uh, uh, a bank a broker or you're almost like getting into a marriage because you're you're getting into this relationship thinking i'm going to be dealing with this person or you know this this brand for for my lifetime and that is really really hard to own and uh and i think that is really a lot more valuable than the revenues that we have today right and and that's what comes through all the 65 lakh customers who may not be really generating too much revenue for us but the fact that they trust us uh with almost 200000 crores plus of securities so that's how much uh customer securities uh are sitting in our demand accounts is i i can't really think of too many brands out there who who uh you know who have that much trust but thanks for that uh we'll end this section with a bunch of very quick rapid fire questions to assess zerodas scale how old is the company uh started 2010 so we just 12 years so how many employees do you have 1100 what's your revenue for whichever is the last reported i mean it's it's uh, i mean it's 3000 crores plus you know so. how fast are you growing uh it's it's kind of plateauing now this year uh, the markets last two years has just been phenomenal and it's it's like you know peak bull market 
So I think uh, in terms of revenue, we are either going to be doing the same as last year or maybe even 10%, 20% lower. Have you ever raised external capital? No, no, we haven't. Have you ever pitched to VCs? Yes, I have, right, right at the start. <laughs> Can you take us back to, I mean, no, no details expected <laughs> about who the VCs were, but what, what was that conversation like? No, I mean, it was, it was uh, quite early in this whole VC industry in India itself, so, you know, back in 2009, 2010. You know, you didn't really have too many VCs. I got uh, FaceTime with a couple of them. But I was just too raw, like, like uh, you know, you mentioned earlier. I wouldn't invest in, you know, <laughs> Nitin Kamath if I, you know, if I had money back in 2009, 2010. Also, the thing was, VCs generally go with the trend, right? And uh, 2009 was really, I think 2010 as well, 2009, 2010 were the worst years for broking as an industry ever, coming on back of the financial crisis. So all the stockbrokers around the world were trying to diversify, kind of move away from stockbroking. And we were trying to start at that time, you know, it's just phenomenal luck that we have had in this journey in multiple times. And even the starting point itself, because what it meant was for the next three years, the first three years of our business, there was not a single competition. Like no one was even trying to talk about broking, you know, everyone was saying. You know, this reminds me of Amazon post the dot com crash. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, so it kind of gave us that head start of sorts. Uh, because, you know, like you can spend as much money as you want, but gaining credibility requires time. Right, so so you know the the time that you 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 know you garnered of sorts, you know, has helped us significantly. Yeah. So the conversations, like I said, it was a very short conversation. It's almost exactly like how when I meet a startup today and I'm not interested, I pretend to be listening to it for like five ten minutes, and then I say, you know what, I'll get back to you, and you know nothing happens after that. Right. If you went back to that time, and if someone actually had cut you a check for let's say two million dollars for let's say twenty percent of your company. What do you think might have happened to Zerodha today? Definitely not this. <laughs> so I'm 100% sure. Because I know most VCs today and I kind of know how they think. Um, I, I, I mean, I'm extremely proud about what we stand for the, as a business today. And, uh, and when I look back, it isn't really the money, etc. that, you know, and I, I, they say is my takeaway from my life of Zerodha. So it's just what we stand for as a business. And that wouldn't have been possible if, if we had gone to a professional VC and raised some money and then had the pressure of growing year on year, year on year. And I mean, it's, it would have been impossible to build a zero that type of a business. We could have still built a large business, you know, a large profitable list. You know, I'm sure by now we would have been listed and all of that if there was a VC, you know, in the, in the beginning. It's very fascinating and it's ironical that uh, you still ended up building a very large business, but you say it was largely because... You did not take venture capital as well. But uh, thank you for that candor. And um, I'll now switch to a different set of questions. And I'll take you back to another interview that you'd done with us in April 2020, where you told us you'd been stress eating. This was when COVID had just, like, you know, we were at, what I mean, early stages um, of COVID. I've put on five kilos, you told us, because of the sheer stress, what was going on, right? Um, my question is, do you still have those five kilos or did you lose it along the way? <laughs> no, no, I, I, I lost it. You know, it was not really just stress. It was, you know, me and Nikhil, you know, we, we, yeah. we got caught up in the same house together and we had a lot of alcohol on us, you know, so, <laughs> and, uh, so it wasn't just, you know, I mean, I'd be lying if I said it was just stress, you know, it was, it was just that we were together and, you know, 
when they start drinking, it doesn't stop at a drink, you know. So, and uh, so yeah, so that was uh, that was it. Uh, no, I mean, as soon I think uh, I've generally been a fit guy through my life, you know. So I've always played a sport, you know. Uh, you know, if I'm not playing a sport, I'm running, cycling, swimming, whatever. So I've always had issues with my diet, though, as in because uh, I love my food, I love my alcohols, I you know, so I love my chocolates, and so I've. I found it very hard to look fit, but you know I've, I've felt fit through my life. Um, so yeah, so I think the the big problem in that one month was uh, I couldn't play any sport uh, because I was stuck at home. And um, though I have like a a gym at home, you know, didn't feel like working out. You know, so you know, it's just taking it easy. And one two months, we I think I put on six seven kilos, but yeah, but I lost it very quickly. You know, and as soon as the um, I think in four or five months I was I was kind of back to my old old self. But but yeah, but this whole diet etc is, is is a constant struggle in us. Okay, thanks. You've been trading since you were seventeen. You're forty three today, right? Um, what was what was that time like for you? Uh, normally at that age, people are concentrating on college. Your folks are telling you concentrate on getting a job, on your career, on your education, etc. You took a completely different path. So I'll ask you a question that does, like if you were to go back to 17-year-old you, does education matter? Absolutely not. I mean, I, I, I think I've learned more things working than I think I would have studied being in college. And you know, I've seen my friends you know, who went to college. So no, I'm talking about life. You know? I mean, of course, I was doing telecommunication engineering when I dropped out. If I had to become a telecom engineer, of course, engineering would have helped, right? But if I am to become a businessman, I don't think telecommunication engineering would have helped, right? So, uh, so yeah. So I think I think what happened was um, I I I got into trading because of greed, right? Like everyone does, you know? the lure of quick money of sorts. And then I think it's it's a no, you can call it passion, addiction, whatever, right? <laughs> so uh, it's a very thin line between those two. And uh, uh, so I was, I was, I found trading the markets very exciting. And uh, and then I think slowly over time, uh, in, I think around 2001 is when I kind of worked in a call center. I, I, I kind of went bust. So I worked in a call center between 2001 to 2005. Uh, and in 2000, may I ask you what kind of calls you were like? What your yeah. script was? What kind of calls I, you were? I used, to, I used to call US and sell mobile phones and credit cards and whatever you know. So I used to call myself Nathan Hawk and <laughs> and try to roll my R's and you know try to speak on the phone. But I think I think I've learned a lot of my life skills in, in those three years because I think selling is really, I think the you know to be a good businessman I think you need to know how to sell first, right? And 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 um, the ability to be on the phone and you know, in the hide behind the pseudonym of sort, you know, it gives you a freedom to kind of experiment in different ways to sell. It's very hard to sell in person because you cannot pretend to be someone else. But I was Nathan Hawk on the phone, so, <laughs> so I mean, I could be whatever I want. So, so I think I, I I learned quite a bit then. I did multi-level marketing for a while, so you know, on weekends. Again, I, what what product? You know, I started with Amway, you know, then there was this company called Symbionic and, you know, like a bunch of things, you know. So uh, so on the weekends, I was trying to do that. So you were actually at the cutting edge of psychology, marketing and sales with call centers, multi-level marketing. These businesses are known for having 
you know the some of the most sophisticated and advanced ways to sell to people yeah i mean now you can say that <laughs> but back the day you know people are telling me to, to go get a real job you know no, of course <laughs> like a 17 year old or 18 year old 20 year old would not think like that yeah yeah so no but but i think i think you know those were the times when i learned quite a bit and around 2001 is also i think when i first went online so you know i, I remember going to this satyam whatever parlor infoway, infoway and you know started uh, yahoo messenger group for for traders you know so i mean i started interacting with other traders and etc so uh, which is i think also played a big part in zeroda being successful because it was not just me trading it was me interacting with traders from 2001 onwards and i've always had the key of kind of trying to share what i know uh, and it's it's almost like you know where did that come from i don't know i mean it's just i think genetic whatever you know so um, you know like like this is the same thing you know me and kalash keep talking about it you know and it says when he talks about force i don't understand how people can spend time effort on on a product and then give it away for free and then he comes back to me and says you know what you take the effort of writing and then you write it and just share it for you know i mean so it's kind of you know maybe that's how me and k also hit off quite a bit i guess you know so uh so yeah so that that um so i used to run some really large yahoo messenger groups uh, i used to run some really large orkut communities when orkut started and i used to you know i kind of like the power of hiding behind nathan hawk so you know I, all these communities i ended up hiding behind pseudo names you know so i used to call myself tarzan in some places and columbus in some places you know and um which again helped quite a I bit i think i may have interacted <laughs> with you during that time. <laughs> i mean if only if you were active speculator you know i mean i was not really you know interacting in on communities outside uh, you know uh, where people are not talking But stocks and where i interacted with the tarzan <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah um what advice would you give to a younger you that might make him get to where you are today but faster do you think it would be possible no i mean i i, I keep thinking about it and uh, i think i would not change anything in my life because any small change in my life would mean that i'm not where i am today and uh, because it's just been so many instances of right place right time you know so you know if i if i think about it if i dropped one semester late from college i probably would not be here right i you know if if i didn't take that call center job which i did you know just on the whim uh, i wouldn't be here right if i didn't do those multi level marketing jobs you know i wouldn't be here so i mean i i quit my call center job because i decided to go to a gym and in that gym i found this person next to me who asked me nitin what do you do and i said i trade the markets he said can you show me how you performing i showed him and then he said nitin can you manage money for me and i quit my job next day so if i hadn't gone to the gym i probably would have continue i mean if i studied well in college i'd probably be a software engineer you know so it's it's uh so i i can't i can't really think of what can i go back in time and what can i change even even in the journey of zeroda itself you know so like i think there've been so many tipping points you know like meeting kalash has been the biggest tipping point of i'll come life. back to that hold that thought i detect a lot of fate and being at the right time and place are you a religious person at all not really so it's just your belief you're a believer in like you know consequences and sequence of events leading yeah i mean up. it's on that i mean i'm saying see the thing is i completely believe that you have to work hard to get anywhere in life right so but but work hard doesn't guarantee that you'll get to where you know whatever in life you know being hard working hard and being smart etc right as in you know you need to get lucky in life and uh, 
Personally, I believe that. Uh, Sorry, hold that thought. Yeah. When you said lucky in life, is there a formula? Can I mean? <laughs> right. I mean, can someone like if you had to say this is there is no way to guarantee luck, right? But do this and you increase your chances of getting lucky. What would that be? No, one is of course hard work, but I think uh, which is given everyone knows it. But I think just um, you know wanting people get you lucky increases the chance of you getting lucky. What it means is you know, if. um my friends and family want me to get lucky you know my odds of getting lucky just goes up a little higher if the people who work with me want me to get lucky the odds goes even higher so essentially means do good things and you know the odds of being lucky get higher you know so it's just the what goes around comes around kind of thing how has your definition of success changed when you were in your 20s to today what was it back then what is it today No, no. Back in back when I started trading, you know, if you came to my room, you would see Porsches, Bentleys, and you know, Rolexes and Pateks and all of that. So, I mean, I kind of outgrown that very quickly, you know. So uh, today, I think this this whole, uh, uh, I think success is just generally the freedom. I think you know, like the freedom to do what I want to do uh, is what feels very successful uh, because. I've seen a lot of people who are successful in terms of how much money they have, but not the freedom. Define that freedom. Freedom is is just the ability to be able to say what you want to say, and you know to be able to do what you want to do as a business. To be able to give away money without having to worry about it, right? I mean, all of these things are very hard to get. And and like I said, I I know a lot of successful people financially uh, who don't really have that freedom. Okay. What's something that you're proud of that happened this week or this month? Take a pick. I mean, we hit one crore customers. No, I mean, we already covered. That. <laughs> yeah. So outside that, what am I proud of? Well, I was I was in Barcelona playing poker and I played some good poker. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, how do you invest? Right. What was? Did you have an investment strategy in the twenties? I'm sure you did, and. What is it today? Yeah, no, I mean, I used to actively trade. Uh, I I didn't I didn't really hold like a lot of positions for long term, you know. So I used to even if I held something with a long term view, I would take it, pledge it, borrow against it, use it for trading or something like that. And uh, uh, so yeah, so uh, tr- you know, investment didn't really happen till we started making some money, which was maybe the last five six years. Uh, so one of the things you know. uh that i did uh, when we decided to start zeroda is i actually actively stopped trading the markets and uh and nikhil started trading the markets because i i kind of realized that uh you know very active trading and doing a business is very distracting you know so i mean i i can't be thinking about what's happening in the stock markets and and we with brokers too many conflicts so and nikhil anyways was a better trader than i was So you know the plan was he continues trading and uh, if Zeroda doesn't work I get back to trading. But when we started Zeroda I stopped trading you know really. Now when I say trading you know actively speculating in the markets or actively taking positions and Nikhil does all of that I mean and context for our listeners oh, yeah. Nikhil is uh, <laughs> Nitin's younger brother. Yeah he's is 7 years younger and a, a lot more evolved being you know so he's a lot more sharper as a trader and uh, And so yeah, so he markets, uh, he 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 takes care of all uh, the company funds and personal funds. So I don't really personally invest uh, apart from whatever I do through Rain Matter, which is investing in fintech startups and uh, through the foundation into climate tech and and the nonprofits. You mentioned fitness. You said 
something very interesting that i've always felt fit even though occasionally i may not have looked fit uh what's your philosophy to fitness and what's your method or approach one is what you think right. the other is what do you do <laughs> yeah no, i mean i've been always wanting to look fit right as in uh, i mean when i say look fit um you know it's you have a six pack or whatever right but it's 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 really really hard to be do, able to do it without any help firstly you know when i say without help without you know taking any substances and uh two is to be able to do it while also running a business you know it's it's i i kind of get it that it's, it's quite hard but that's usually you know like in terms of my looking fit fit fitness goal you know that is it but feeling fit you know i think i'm the fittest i've ever been in my life so like you know every every sunday morning i play soccer with a lot of these 25 year olds and i'm probably working harder and doing a lot more i mean i'm not, I'm not be the most skilled but you no know, uh, i probably work harder than most of them when i play basketball i'm playing with 18 20 year olds and so so i i know that fitness wise i'm i'm i'm, I'm okay you know so uh but yeah but uh, i i aspire to have like a 10 to 12% body fat and then, and uh, you know every time i'm closer to my birthday you know i make this grand plan that next year it's going to be the year you know so so let's see how that goes thank you for that i'm going to switch now to a bunch of questions again back to entrepreneurship um and to zerodha what is it that you feel you add most value to uh to zerodha as a ceo yeah i i think you know just being uh have done you know this this job in different kind of context which is you know i was a trader first i've interacted with traders uh, and and then i kind of get the business quite okay so i think i think i get the overall context which a lot of people like which means i can uh think longer term versus shorter term because i think today you know across the world across businesses everyone's kind of wired to constantly think short term because that's what you get most rewarded for and but but i think as a ceo more you know i think i think the job is to be able to think long term you know to think what can change in 5 years what can change in 10 years and and not really try to curve fit your business for what is right for the next 3 months 6 months and and i think that freedom that i have is also because there are no investors on board and because if there were then i would probably have the same quarter on quarter or year on year pressure to grow at a certain rate etc but um, like just like i said earlier right like just to look at the 65 lakh clients that we have who don't generate revenue for us as long term relationship who will you know who are bringing a lot of value you know on, on the platform right and these are 65 lakh like people who who probably are talking about zerodha to their friends and family and that's a lot more valuable than any money you can generate out of them right because uh, you know i've said this before that if we had to spend as much money as our competition has spent in acquiring users we wouldn't be a profitable startup today right and um, so all these you're describing the vc template which is burn money to earn money and then of course you would not be profitable yeah no but but thing is you know um it's worked the vc template has also created a lot of large businesses but uh, but thing is in a low cost business model like ours does it work in the stock broking online stock broking business not Have in you... the not not in the low cost stock broking space right it uh, so like you know for example in the us uh, folks like interactive brokers and charles schwab they spend like 400 500 dollars acquiring a user they can make that money back from them because you know there are different ways to be able to make money uh 
in india you know it's very hard to make revenues from users you know so it's it's uh, you know we spend 5000 rupees 9 out of 10 users can't generate 5000 rupees worth of you know revenue for you as a business because there is no that much money out there right so um so yeah so just to be able to understand something like that right like uh, i think how do you think about this you said yeah. you know your ability to essentially look ahead next 5 years like i mean can you take us through i mean i'm sure it's not a discrete process but when you think about the future how do you think about it what are the pieces that come together are you thinking about it while playing while driving a car in bangalore's traffic i mean how do you do this how do you think about the future yeah no, i mean i think i think that has become a big challenge today to have time to sit down and think right so yeah so that's why i drive my car myself uh you know every time i'm traveling on the plane i make sure i'm not watching anything on the tv and and kind of you know sitting and using the time to think um i i, I love swimming and running so i i kind of uh also end up thinking quite a bit especially when i'm swimming because at least when you're running you can listen to some music but swimming you know is is like is almost like meditation of sorts you know and um so these are all times when i'm you know usually kind of you know in the zone uh thinking about potential outcomes you know i'm i think one of the things i'm constantly trying to do as a as a person as a business etc you know is is always trying to factor in the worst case outcome right as in what's the worst that can happen and um and yeah and i i i really can you know think of like really worst case outcomes and and then you know spend some time trying to make peace with it because I, i think that helps me be, be rational when things are not going that great of sorts you know and uh, like you know just to be able to say that you know what next two years i'll degrow as a business right? and and because i made a peace with it saying you know the last two years were just bumper years there is impossible for the markets to continue to grow at that pace right and you know given whatever is happening in the us you know it's it's just bound to impact us as a country at some point of time and uh so to be able to say that and make peace with it and then then you know you you can work you know there's a lot lot more freedom in the in the way you can be able to work and you know when i made peace with it the entire team has made peace with it so no one's fighting it right uh and then you know whatever has to happen like i said earlier will happen you know i mean the idea is to get up every day and try to do something better than what you did last year last day you know and and if you can keep doing it you know you know good things can happen this is a question i've asked um earlier ceos i've interviewed as well do you believe you are or should be replaceable i mean this is a conversation that that's running internally in our team as in the company as well uh you know we are talking about bus factor and and you know the biggest risk to the business and i'm i'm kind of right there at the top in terms of risk and the reason i'm there is because of my risk taking abilities uh you know which is something that's missing in the business today and i i keep talking about it to everyone within the company as well uh is um because you know you stop taking bets as a business you know a bet isn't just a new product right a bet is even a social media post for example you know i mean like the way i drafted that one pro post right that's a bet because you know it it reached to 3 4 million users so you know it kind of helped the business in some way so you know you're constantly trying to look at everything that's coming by as an opportunity or a risk and if you think it of a risk you're trying to do whatever to reduce the risk if it's an opportunity you're trying to leverage on it right and and that ability you know is something that i'm you know i have a, a really close team that i you know i call it the z team 
25 young kids, you know, sorts, you know, I mean, not kids, I mean, 25 year olds, you know, 25 to 30 year olds. And I'm constantly trying to get them to uh, think like this way, you know. So, and, and the idea is to be replaceable. Uh, one of the big challenges of not having money as a goal is that once you have the money, you can potentially get bored with life very soon. Right. In the sense, you know, I mean, I can get up tomorrow morning and, you know, I'd say, screw this, right? I said, I want to go, I don't know, go by a beach and put a shack and, you know, play football or basketball or whatever. And so, uh, so that's a risk, you know, that's a risk that I have. Um, I mean, my personal risk and, um, and we, we've been talking internally, you know. Uh, Why is it? I mean, this is very interesting. Um, it resonates on multiple levels. Why is it that you feel that you have the best ability to spot opportunities and take risks? One is, of course, with your privilege as founder and CEO. But other than that, why can't why can't it be taught to others as well? No, no. I mean, I'm I'm trying to try hard to. Uh, Can it be? It's it's. I don't know. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll get to know over time. Um, uh, see, today I can say it with a track record of dealing with. I'm not saying everyone outside. I'm just talking in the context of Zeroda and the team within Zeroda. Especially the team that decides, you know, on things in life. Right? Because I don't even know uh, 900, you know, the, the skill levels of 900 people on Zeroda whom I don't interact with, you know, on a constant basis. You know, the 100 people that I interact with who are leaders and et cetera. So uh, there, you know, I think I think there's a lot more to do. And that's something that we are working on as a business saying, you know, you need to kind of remove the risks wherever possible. Um And uh, yeah, so every time, you know, there's an opportunity or something now, nowadays I keep throwing up and saying, Okay, look at this. What can be done right now, you know, and and hoping that over time uh, that can you know kind of uh, work out. But but I think the other challenge is you know once you know something is an opportunity or risk to be able to execute it, you need the team to come together for that. And I think the biggest challenge would be that you know is that how do you get some you know the entire team of Zeroda to now trust someone else um, as a CEO or you know CEO type of a uh, person, you know, so um, I think that's a, that's going to be much more challenging than teaching people, you know, to spot opportunities and risks. You know, so. well, I'm going to jump ahead to a couple of questions I had for later, but I think it's very relevant right now. Here, you're a millennial, I think borderline millennial, right? You're 43, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, and you're dealing with these smart, like, you know, 20, 25 year old Gen Zs, right? right? And you, you, you said something like, I'm showing them an opportunity and saying, what would you do? And if I go back earlier in our conversation, you said, work hard, make every day, you know, the best day compared to the last, all of those things, right? Yet there's a lot of literature about how these values are shifting between Gen X, millennials, right. and Gen Z. Gen Zs necessarily don't look at the world. Uh, many of them have been brought up in privilege, they have an abundance of information and insight. They're all well-educated. They don't see the world the same way right. that you might have. Do you see that in your company? And if you do, what do you do about it? The see, thing is, you, like, I've, I have to make peace, of, peace with, you know, with this thing saying I can't really, if, you know, uh, affect majority of the team. Right? So, so I really care only about the people who I think will be future leaders for the business, you know, pe people who will kind of decide the direction of the business, you know, if I'm not around and et cetera. And, and that's where I try to influence them to 
think in a certain way. Now, to get into that sphere of influence, I mean, within the How business. How is that? Tell us your tricks. No, no, I mean, I think culturally, they have to just think, you know, like what the business thinks. Right? So it's a, the cultural fit has, see, we are a very unique business in that way, culturally, right? As in, I've never set targets to anyone on the team, right? And I don't know how many businesses out there can say something like that, right? As in, because I've always believed that you put targets, you know, people find a way to miss-sell. And, you know, if you miss-sell, you know, your customer's not going to like you. If your customer doesn't like you, I mean, it's eventually going to hurt you as a business. You know, maybe not in the short run, but, you know, in the long run, right? So, uh, you know, as soon as you get, like, you know, I've had this conversation with aggressive, like, you know, for sales position, et cetera. Like, you know, like, Nathan, I will get to these many customers. Like, dude, I mean, how are you even claiming that you'll get to this many customers, you know? So... So yeah, so there is a certain culture at Zeroda. So what would, in that situation, when one potential salesperson is saying, I'll get to so many customers, and there's someone else who's saying something else, which makes you feel that this is the person that I want to have, what is that other person saying, which is not targets? Yeah, no, I mean, I think think it's about this whole understanding that you can do your best and, you know, the rest can. I mean, that's really the culture, right? Is that, you know, you're you're constantly saying... uh, you're going to care for your customer more than, you know, everyone else. And if you can do that for a long enough period of time, the business will grow, you know. And it's just that, you know, people are always, like I said earlier, are trying to grow fast and quickly. And that's when you compromise on the interest of the customer to be able to do it quickly, right? And, and, uh, and yeah, so you need someone who, who's thinking like that, you know, who's going to think about customer long-term and not really like a really short-term relationship of sorts. And also, I mean, it's been very hard and that's why, most leaders within Zeroda are from within the company. We haven't really hired a single leader from outside of sorts. And now everyone's joined us and, and kind of grown through the ranks uh, as, you know, as they have shown their, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, so build versus buy is your overall philosophy, whether it comes to the tech stack or to leadership, etc. also. Yeah, because of the, the, like I said, you know, culturally it was very hard to go find uh, and people. And the thing is, you know, I think in, in our kind of makes one person who doesn't fit in culturally and, you know, if he were to become a leader of sorts, I think it can it can kind of screw, the, screw you know, it can hurt the business quite a bit. So we've been very wary about it. But that said, when you don't do it, I think you're also kind of building blind sides as a business, right? As in you're, you're thinking of business in, in almost like almost everyone's thinking alike. That's a risk that group we think. Yeah, group thing. You know, so that's a risk. Uh, but I made peace with it. I'm saying, you know what, it's it's better to not have a culturally misfit person versus having this blind side of sorts. Before I move on from this topic of the replaceability of CEOs, I also want to reference, um, uh, you know, the, the recent uh, deaths of Rakesh Junjanwala, one of India's, like, you know, best known stockbrokers and investors. And I read really, really interesting story um, article uh, written by him um, in the Business Standard, which said that look, he's moved on, but he's also taken away. I mean, not he's not taken away, but a lot of the learnings and insight and wisdom that made him who he was is gone because it's not documented. Right. It's not. Is this something which is very unique to the stockbroking space, which is essentially the mental models and knowledge frameworks? and risk-taking abilities that really define great investors are essentially very personal and cannot be. Yeah, see, today, a stockbroker really is just a platform, right? I mean, you can document it and, you know, you can have a bunch of, you know, like a document saying, you know, how, th- how should this platform run if I'm not around? But being an investor, I, I don't really know if you can really document everything because 
if if i were to look back in my time uh, you know in my whatever investing journey or even look at nikhil the way he invest in trades i think the best ones have really been very instinctive based ones you know and not really you know documented where you had like this excel backing why you should invest it was more you know what it feels right let's do it and uh, and how do you kind of document that right as in what is let's feels right as in so and and that really differentiates and and you know a lot of people ask me will ai take over investing and trading and etc like how it's struggling to kind of take over poker Uh, I think it'll also very it'll struggle really hard to take over in investing because uh, I think the best investors in the world are very instinctive in you know when they're triggering the decision to buy you know so or sell so so yeah so it's it's really hard it's it's almost impossible to replace Rakesh Jain you know, even if you're documented whatever right I think it would have been almost impossible to replace it's almost impossible to replace him. What's your best kept secret about finding talented people? I I don't know about finding talented people, but I think uh, uh, one of the things I've tried very hard is to undersell when we're hiring. Uh, is you know I've kind of realized that people who come only for the money kind of go away for money, right? As in, we haven't ever hired a person promising ESOPs or whatever. I mean, today everyone's made. I've had a large financial outcome because of that, but we not 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 once hired anyone saying, you know, what you join, you'll get stake in the business. Business grows. uh and then you you know stake grows and stuff like that even our esops are you know have no strike price so they're essentially more rsus than esops uh so no one is kind of trying to you know improve that strike price of sorts you know and uh so what i've realized is this whole underselling uh and then trying to over deliver in terms of uh what people are expecting when they join you is um it just people respect you a lot more and they kind of we were hardly in attrition you know i mean in our tech team as especially right as in it's crazy because your tech team is 35 you know it's it's i mean they're all monsters i mean all, but the thing is again you know the tech team again was is just exactly that no pedigree in terms of no iits and what not as in everyone hobby programmers and i think you know kalash like the cultural fit and you know and and their projects their pet projects that they had and uh, and they all um, yeah so i, I think uh, uh, i think this whole underselling is just not for your investor but i think you also need to kind of undersell or deliver for for people who kind of join you you know within you it was very hard over the last two three years right because like you know i i look at people starting businesses now and i'm like dude how do you even hire good folks right as in it's it's uh, It just became so transactional of sorts right as in like everyone's um you almost need like 3 4 million dollars just to kind of have an mvp of sorts today as in uh hopefully that corrects because it's not good you know it's not good for the for the country as well as in you know so uh but yeah but i think uh, uh that's kind of worked out very well is which is undersell when someone's you know when you're trying to hire someone i'm still going to stick with the theme you've said that one thing that you do to filter out um the wrong kind of employees is to undersell so that you're essentially making sure that those who are really passionate are the ones who pass through that filter now let's say you've got two people who are similar both are passionate both are interested but you pick one over the other so what are the traits that you're typically looking for in people when you're interviewing them since you so hire so yeah. few people i mean yeah the crazy thing is in the last two years we haven't hired so Two or three years. Wow. Yeah, we were we were 
we were 1100 when we were 20 lakh customers we were 1100 at 1 crore customers you know i mean i think uh, um the last i had was maybe 3 years back you know so, so as in uh and and i heard because that guy just couldn't stop following up with me you know so he just kept bugging me so it's persistence in that case yeah it is it is persistence so, I mean, you know in a in a very likable yeah, of way course. You know, not not really of course like, persistence you know, is a great man yeah you know and I mean, some people can be annoying when they persist. As in, no, this fellow is very sweet and persistent, and uh, and yeah, and he was. Uh, uh, he, I think he was, he's our first MBA hire, also actually, like you know, from MBA wow. from a from a good school of sorts. And uh, but otherwise, you know, that that you know, I still don't know if I have the skills to hire well because uh, the way we've done it is we have hired people right out of college, from small to you know, not pedigree kind of colleges. And then people have grown from within the organization. And so identifying people within the organization is something that I spent a lot more time on. And and for that, you know, we run we run like a you know really cool initiative within Zeroda, which is like a like an internal like a social media platform where uh, we're constantly discussing about as as many topics and uh, and everyone's free to talk whatever. And and there's no you know there is no pretense in a sense. You know, there is no uh, only managers can say and stuff like that. So, so yeah. So I use that as an opportunity to kind of figure out what people have to say and etc. So that's that's been a great leverage of sorts. So when you say you haven't hired anyone in the last two three years, does it mean that while the eleven hundred number may have remained roughly the same, has there been some backfilling due to some natural attrition yeah, yeah, that's yeah, happened? Yeah, right? I mean, so the thing is, uh, I think fifty or sixty people have left and. 60 have joined you know and especially in support functions and it's it's really at the bottom of the like you know people who come to answer customer queries and etc and uh, and and these are generally freshers so i i don't even now i'm not even involved in, in that hiring anymore in this what does it feel like because this feels like a almost hypothetical construct it's like living in a country where inflation is zero and it's like being in a company where attrition is zero and you're not hiring, especially right. at the scale at which you are, what does it therefore mean for you when it comes to how you view talent and employees? Right. Is it is 100% of your efforts then on retention? Where where, where do you focus your right. efforts on no, I'm, talent I'm, and culture? Upskilling people, you know, most of my time really it goes away, keeping people motivated that they need to get better. And um, and then I spend a lot of time sharing everything that I have to say, you know, on every single thing that comes across. And I share it with the entire team. It's no holds barred. As in, there is no, I'm not going to talk about something on this platform, you know. So I get there and I share as much as I can. When you say platform. So the same, like the in, inside a platform. Like a Slack kind uh, of thing? It's, it's one of those discourse okay, forums, you know. And, uh, uh, and yeah, so it's, uh, that is Kind of, uh, I think, I think, yeah. So right now it's about, uh, especially because we are all work from home. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's important. Are you fully remote? Partly? I mean, almost fully. I think 30 or 40 people come to office and I mean, some of us go on Fridays, but uh, the rest of the team is, you know, many of them have actually moved out of Bangalore and they're in smaller towns and cities. So, so yeah, so it's a, it's a, it's forever, you know, it's, it's not coming back. And uh, so we have leveraged quite a bit on this tool to uh, kind of share as much. But I also understand that not everyone's ambitious in life and um, there's only so much someone can get motivated to do. And uh, 
so yeah so uh, you know we are as a, like but it's still a you know personally for me i'm thinking you know what happens if new people are not joining and how do we then uh find newer folks to kind of lead fresh blood newer yeah. perspectives so uh no it's 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 something that i'm thinking quite a bit about you know i, I recently you know i was playing basketball with this kid and um, and then you know he's he played football with me and then he played you know pool with me and i was like oh you know you have skills and then i said why don't you come to the office for an interview and we ended up hiring him you know so no i'm using every opportunity to find uh people i think who have like broader skills and not just uh you know some common sense and broader skills and you know then you can get them to pick up the business quite easily my last question in this theme is you've said earlier we don't have revenue or growth targets most companies do it's almost taken as a given how do you therefore measure success at an individual level at a team level at an organizational level at zerada yeah i mean so the thing is right from the start it was about saying you know the business has to be profitable right as in you know so that was the first measure of success saying are we doing something generating profit and also kind of giving us sufficient you know like ability to add to our wall chest of sorts if something were to go wrong because i understand that you know it's very easily possible that the world can go into trouble for 3 5 years i mean we haven't seen large bear markets of sorts in the you know in the recent past but if you go back in time you know like say japan was hot till late 80s and early 90s and it's been in a bear market like 20 30 years now isn't you know in a in a sense so that can very easily happen to any country right as in and and uh so i think today i feel very successful as a business because we we today have like 11 year runway 11 12 years of runway and and um so i i know that tomorrow morning if you know business how do you define runway for our listeners if tomorrow morning revenue is zero then can i continue paying everyone and if if i can for how many years you know so so essentially you're saying that tomorrow morning the financial world comes to an end and you have to sustain your workforce and you're saying you can do that for the next 11 yeah, years workforce, yeah workforce plus infra etc so it's it's kind of a, a peaceful spot to be in you know you know that we'll figure something in 11 years you know? that's that's freedom <laughs> yeah you know so uh yeah so that's that's tough there is a saying that we are the average of the five people we spend the most amount of time with who are the five people for you yeah no i think i've uh, like i i've i think um, my biggest like life guru right now is kalash you know so i think i spend more kalash time kalash nadir is a ceo uh, he's a ceo you know he joined us in 2013 and my perspective towards life business you know personal professional everything has changed uh, hanging around with him so i spend a lot of time around him because i think i've gotten a lot better around him i spend a lot of time with my wife um she's you know gets up every morning at 5 am and works out and you know i think that habit i picked up thanks to her because i think fitness health is super important people don't understand you know under appreciate how important it is uh you know like a fit body is you know can just do a lot more um so i i um, it's her i you know i still stay with my parents um, so so we live together so my mom and dad you know and uh, nikhil my younger brother and uh, so yeah i think these are five people that are actually my son you know so <laughs> so but yeah 
So I can say he, he's at the zeroth position. <laughs> I'm assuming. Is having friends at work important in your belief? I I haven't hired friends, and you know. No, that, that's a different yeah. question. My question is: If you work at a place, right? Is it good to have friends there? Yeah. I mean, Or do you treat it as a workplace oh, where no, you no, say no, it's no, just no, professional? I mean, no, I think I absolutely you need friends. You no, know? I mean if, if that's the context, you know, I like uh, so we have this. You know, we call ourselves as an inner circle team, and you know, we're six of us, and every year with families we spend. I think at least twenty days together, you know, uh, traveling and doing something together because it's it's. I think it's super important to have friends. I mean, you should be able to talk about your, you know, whatever issues that you're going through, and without fear of being judged, uh, you know. And yeah, you can do it with outsiders as well. But I think you know, insiders are better because they get the context better, uh, especially around business and etc. You know, so. So I have, I I think these five or six, uh, I mean these six people uh, team with their families are, are really close friends. This this Z team that I said, you know, the twenty five kids and uh, that I interact with actively, you know, some of them are becoming almost like friends. But I think you know a lot of them look at me like a boss, so that will probably never turn into a friend kind of relationship. But with the the inner circle team, it's it's more you know, friend than a boss kind of relationship. Let's come to Kailash because that name keeps coming up again and again in your <laughs> conversations. In fact, I must bring this up. Um, earlier this year, your wife Seema had uh, done this very nice blog where she talked about her fight against cancer and recovery from it, which was very well documented. Uh, both I and my wife read it and shared it too. And and like you know, like I said, it's very brave of Seema. And and in that also, she said, "I'm generally a very private person." But I constantly see my friend Kailash and husband Nitin spend a lot of time and effort, open sourcing and sharing all learnings and knowledge. The only way they say to make the world a better place. So I keep seeing Kailash, <laughs> Kailash, like you know, when I'm, I'm I'm researching you for the interview, it's like Kailash, 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 and in the conversation you've brought him up, right? So tell us more about Kailash, um, and how did you two meet, and like you know, yeah. So, um, uh, so what happened? I kind of realized very early on that um, technologists are going to take over the world, right? It's like you know the X Men movie, you know. So if you can't be the X Men, you have to be friends with one, right? And uh, so I started investing in whatever little way possible, right? From around two thousand eight, two thousand nine, like fifty thousand, one lakh rupees, etc. You know. So the idea was not with the ROI in terms of investment returns, but more like I need to be friends with technologies. And uh, so Kailash uh, uh, and uh, his two friends, you know, uh, they were doing a startup um, around. It was a robot advisory startup. Uh, it was called Sensible, and uh, so they were they're they're kind of working out of uh, one of their uh, co-founders' apartments. You know, uh, this guy called Abid, uh, uh, and that that apartment was right opposite our Banagata Road office when we started off. And so Abid one day dropped by and you know wanted to figure what is that zero that does and uh, and uh, and then yeah so uh, I kind of liked Abid and then I met Kalash and you know we kind of all hit off uh, we decided to but then we were making some money as a business so whatever they wanted to raise as funds I said you know what uh, it's it's almost synergetic let me do it um, uh, the 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 business didn't fly because we didn't really get a regulatory approval. 
So Sensible, the first version kind of stopped there. But Kailash and I hit off and um, uh, I, I remember going to Kailash first, you know, when Sensible didn't take off uh, to have a hangman kind of a game for stock market terms. You know, and so K really built us uh, that utility for the first time. And then, I, I, but then I, the first competitor had come around scene. Now this is 2013, 2012, 2013. Was exactly seeing the same story what we were trying to say. Low cost, we'll do social media well, we'll blog and all of that. And uh, that's when I'd also realized that, you know, unless the product gets better, uh, there is no way you know, we'll have any more left in the business. And so, you know, you have to kind of transition from being a stockbroker to a fintech firm. And uh, Kala just felt like the right person. I was just, like I said, right from day one, I just uh, completely was in awe of everything that he can do. You know? And uh, yeah, so he joined us. And then uh, 2015 is when uh, the first uh, Kite was launched. And uh, that was really... So you want to tell listeners what Kite was? Yeah, Kite is a, a trading app. You know, until 2015, we were on top of a vendor platform. So it was like a white label vendor product. Uh, in 2015, we launched our in-house uh, web and mobile app called Kite. Uh, I mean, it was kind of um, very different to traditional platforms. They're very minimalistic, more Apple-like and, you know, if not Blackberry-like, you know, so in the sense, you know. Uh, uh, and uh, we also had, by then, like I said, four or five years of credibility built up. And uh, in 2015, December, uh, we went zero brokerage for equity investing because until then we were charging commissions, but we stopped charging in 2015 mainly because by then our ambitions had grown. You know, we were like, we need to go attract the larger audience and not just the smaller active trading audience. And uh, with Kite, we were very confident that the larger investing audience would like our product as well. Uh, so we went zero brokerage and and then Aadhaar happened and account openings, you know, which were a physical account opening form became online and then just the business took off completely. You know, so. Yeah, so uh, Kian, like I said, th there have been a lot of right place, right time. So uh, Kian, I catching up was also like one of those kind of uh, coincidences. Let's jump to a section where we talk about failures. What are the top three failures you feel Zeroda has made? And you could define failure as either a misstep or a missed opportunity. Uh, so I think the first time we kind of scaled was 2018, 17-18, uh, where you know, suddenly we had a lot more users than we thought we'll ever have. And our platforms didn't really scale that well. That was because of a dependency on the vendor products. Because at the core of our business, you know, we kind of still rely on an underlying vendor product. You know? so, um, and that didn't really scale well, which meant we had a bunch of issues. And um, so we got, you know, like social media is like a double-edged sword. And, you know, we got like trolled quite a bit. You this know. was a time when people were pasting screenshots of Zerada being down. Yeah, yeah, you know, and uh, that was really, really, really hard. I mean, uh, so the way we kind of got over it was we kind of realized that the bottleneck was that vendor platform, every instance of it can only handle so much traffic. Right, so uh, so we just went and created multiple instances of it, and I was like, um, I, I did think that balloon your infrastructure costs by any? Did, but you know, in our context, not, nothing at all. You know, so I mean, like in the context of size of the business, nothing at all. But but yeah, so we should have probably done that 
uh, because we we carried that baggage for a while, right? And uh, of saying Zerodha is like one of those will keep going down, etc. You know, in reality, it wasn't right? because like the, the Twitter fail whale in the early <laughs> days. Yeah, and no, but also in reality, the thing is, our customers are English speaking. Twenty to forty-year-olds who are also on Twitter, right? So, so we it's are like the worst, to- <laughs> worst customer base to make a mistake with. Yeah. So we are, but the thing is, these customers have helped us grow as well. So I can't really complain about it. Uh, but yeah, but that was really, really painful, you know. And uh, and and knowing that this that could have been solved by having multiple instances, uh, we should have probably have attempted it much before what we did. Uh, so. Um, that is definitely like you know uh like a like a misstep in the journey um i can't really think of a misstep um missed opportunity i don't think so i mean i think we've kind of gone after every single opportunity as in whatever came by you've talked about instinctive decisions um and i want to kind of go deeper into that how do you know there are times when you get an idea uh where you lean into it because you feel that it's just the time i think um you've mentioned earlier that in december 2015 you were stuck in a coach when your flight got delayed and you were just discussing random ideas and that's when you decided to charge zero brokerage fees that's an instinctive idea it had probably been bubbling up somewhere in your subconscious but it surfaced back then right at other times when you get an instinctive idea you will probably say it's good let's hold on to it in this case the very next day if i'm not mistaken you went and announced it right how do you distinguish between a great instinctive idea or impulsive idea or one that you want to kind of uh, is there a way i mean how did you know back then that you got to do it why did you not no, take another i think another i think way? you know with every idea you kind of are kind of thinking about rewards and risks risk to reward kind of ratio right as in saying what is that you got to lose and what is the potential that you can you have got to gain tell me that when you when you get an idea what is the first thought that goes to your mind is it what's the most i can lose or what's the most yeah, i can get I, i'm i'm a trader so for me unless i make peace with the risks i would never think about rewards you know so you know and so you think about the downside first yeah. and cap it to some extent and then you think about the ups i mean if it's not capped i wouldn't even do it like for example the 2015 decision of going zero brokerage was because 3% of our revenue was coming from equity investors so so i had made a piece with it saying that if i lose i'm losing 3% of equity you know brokerage i mean 3% of our revenues uh but with the potential of virality right uh and also with the potential that if it didn't work i can go back charging you know there is no rule that says i can not go to zero and can't come back up it's hard to come back up but you can potentially come back up uh so so it kind of you know made sense to attempt it and that was instinctive because Uh, you know i mean the first thing i did was actually call a chartered accountant and said you know i mean uh dude how much will we lose by you know reconfirm your calculations <laughs> reconfirm my calculations you know so uh so t- so typically what i what i've been doing whenever i have an idea is uh, i document it i mean i write it down and let it where if i may ask? i mean usually it's in the middle of the night so it's on google keep uh, you know i mean but then i take it i put it on a google doc and write it down and share it with a bunch of folks let it you know sleep on it for a while and um uh and then 90% of them never make through you know, you know they kind of drops off there uh but yeah but um uh kind of pick up 
on on the ones that feel okay in terms of risk to reward i think like i said you know i think trading running a business it's 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 all very similar skill sets you know every time you buy a stock you're thinking risk to reward saying i think business is also about that as in you and and then you know in in trading there is this whole concept called bet sizing which um which is you know not every trade you take the same bet a size you know in the sense you have 10 lakh rupees you can't be putting 10 lakh rupees on every trade on 90% of your trades you probably should be putting only 20000 rupees and 10% of the trades you need to put 10 lakh rupees because if you don't do that last trades you'll never make money in your life business also like that i mean you know keep nibbling keep doing small bets all the time and every time you know something feels right you know the small bets start showing results you just kind of you know put more meat behind it of sorts you know so and uh, uh trading business even playing poker to be very honest it's it's, it's almost exactly the same thing so, in the context of business how does this work are you creating i mean in the context of stock trading you're creating optionality by buying and selling through the day right in the context of business how are you creating these bets is it about creating lots of products and features and constantly testing so that you can double down on something really big when it comes up what is the optionality for you? yeah no i mean see the thing is uh, like i said these bets in a business isn't really always new products or you know i mean it could potentially be just a improvement or it could be when as simple as a support article written a certain way you know like someone has to have an incentive to spot it and then improve it because if there is no incentive to spot it and improve it no, it will not happen right as in uh, so uh, so yeah so i think as a as a ceo my job is to figure how do we incentivize people to spot it so we actually run something called a spot awards in the office so anyone can spot any thing that can be improved in the business uh, right from the pay slip to anything and we give them an award and you know it gets calculated for their appraisals as well so you know there's people are fighting to spot issues in the business so is this this is great because is this how you're hoping to prevent the next downtime messages and all because you're trying to proactively focus people on stuff that may not have surfaced yet yeah no th- th- think about trading platform right as in that downtime you know we have a lot of dependencies as stock broker right as and the thing is uh, we connect to the exchanges through lease lines the lease lines assuming one of the lease lines you know this is weird term called flapping right you know a lease line can either be down if it's down it will move to a backup but if it's flapping it doesn't know if it has to move to the backup right and it's it's a very weird indian freaking thing okay i mean with lease lines uh so when it flaps so orders that are getting placed during those times when it is flapping uh users don't get confirmation for orders placed immediately right uh so it's like a impossible problem to solve today right as in the best you can do is some intermediate state it's it's not like <laughs> it's a, not down or not up yeah. i mean one analogy i can think of in which i think most listeners will relate to in india is when you know when when you're not suffering a power cut but the voltage drops right <laughs> and you know that most of your appliances are not working some are potentially getting damaged but you also know that you have not gone to zero state yeah but the, but the problem is we are getting blamed right now you know so it's uh, and the thing about our business is the entire business is in a 6 and a half hour window so markets open at 9:15 close at 3:30 the first 20 minutes and the last 20 minutes has 30% of the activity so you know if you were to have a small incident there you know it's just the repercussions are just you know phenomenally large for us so like so like i said in the in terms of spotting there are certain things that you can spot 
But a lot of things are a dependencies, you know. I mean, you just have to make peace with it. Like, say, for example, I think two months back, you know, we had issues with Cloudflare, right? And Cloudflare was down and, you know, the platform was having issues. Now, you cannot not have Cloudflare, right? As in, so, so you have to assume that there is a risk that comes by having Cloudflare. Or similarly, you know, so you're on AWS, right? As in, AWS is like a risk for everyone in this country, as in. But for us, even more, because if it were to happen in the six and a half hour window, then... You know, because every every uh, the the way people think is that you know when when a markets uh, when when you're not able to transact, you know everything is an opportunity cost. Like you know in Amazon, say you're trying to buy something, if you can't buy it now, you'll buy it in five minutes because the price hasn't changed. But because in stock markets the prices are constantly changing, if you were to be down, you get blamed for any opportunity miss of sorts. You know, so it's just a it's just a tough business that way. You know? What are some of the first principles you turn to most often when you're faced with a significant decision? When there are no priors, when there are no benchmarks, and you know you have to take a decision, what kind of first principles do you turn to? I mean, I think I think like one of the things I've realized for my life is that that the tougher ones are mostly the right ones, you know. So the tougher uh, decisions yeah i mean because you know you you because they're tough for a reason they're tough for a reason and i mean not always uh, but but i think i think 80% of the times you know the tougher ones i mean 80 is just a random number i'm throwing sure, but, but i'm saying you know most most of the times tougher right so if if so automatically you go and think you know like i i'm very conscious about that saying you know i mean even even personally you know the other day uh, Seema and I, you know, we were at my son's sports day and and we were like, should we stay, should we not stay? You know, and the easy one was come back home and, you know, like uh, watch TV or whatever, right? As in, and the tough one was to stay. And I was telling her and, you know, eventually he said, you know, screw it, let's go back. It's very boring, you know, so. But, uh, but yeah, but but personally, I'm, I'm always constantly thinking like that. And, uh, and like I said, for me, everything in life revolves around risk to rewards. You know? So every single thing, like, I'm constantly thinking about risk to reward. You know? So it's just, I think it's just be, being a trader from when I was like 17 and and having done the same thing through my life. You know, Even Zeroda, for example, you know, and a lot of people ask me, Nathan, why don't you trade anymore? I say Zeroda is the biggest trade of my life, you know, and and uh, it's just, you know, because a lot of people think trading is trading stocks. You know, trading isn't trading stocks. Trading is trading your time, really, you know, uh, trading your time to do things that has risk to reward in your favor. I mean, that's really how I think about everything in life. And uh, so, yeah, so every decision is is based on that. And uh, and I'm a, I'm, I'm a very optimistic risk taker once I've made peace with my worst case outcome. What's one thing you've learned the hard way about not fundraising that you want bootstrapped entrepreneurs to know? Um, l- l- I mean, uh, learn the hard way? Uh, By experience. Yeah. I mean, we all know the, the, the good part of, you know, you didn't take the money and therefore, like, <laughs> right. you know, you became successful. But yeah. I'm sure there are lots of stories along the way that we haven't heard of what it means to be bootstrapped and not having taken that. No, I think... Uh... Uh, I think it was mostly in the beginning. I, I don't, I mean, see, the thing is, the last, from 2016 onwards, India has been in one of the cyclical bull markets. So, so we haven't really been put to spot of sorts, you know, where we have had to kind of, you know, like, I've been pushed to think about, oh, you know what, I need help and et cetera. But right at the start, it was very hard. 
like the first uh, two years, I used to call myself Sachin and cold call. You know, I mean, maybe you know, if 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 I had raised funds, you know, I would have not had to do it. You know, there's someone else that didn't do it. I could have used my time something else. What were you cold calling? Who were you cold calling? Active trade. So you know, uh, so the first thing when we started the business, we did was I uh, I created an account at Zerodon on on a bunch of trading communities. Um, I bought a database of active traders, and uh, uh, and I started calling people saying I'm Sachin, and on the forum I started answering saying I'm Sachin, you know, and Sachin because you know like you can't you can't be the CEO of a company cold calling someone, especially a financial services firm, you know. So, um, so yeah, so I think the first two years I like you know looking back, I could have done some other things at that point of time and and not done cold calling or doing customer support. I mean on this on this forum, you know. But I think I built a lot of kind of business intelligence, you know, when I look back at it. Um, so, so yeah, so it's, um, uh, I think not raising funds is very hard at the start. But, you know, once you are profitable, when you don't really need money, I think you should, like I keep talking about this, you know, people who don't need money shouldn't go raise money because this liquidity preference is a bitch, you know. So, I mean, it's almost, I think of it almost as a, as a loan of sorts, right? As in, do you want to tell listeners, especially lay listeners, what yeah. you mean by liquidity preferences? Yeah, like for bank. example, say you know, if say Zeroda was say in 2014, 13, 14, say we were making say 10 crores of profit, and for whatever we had planned, I don't need any money, right? So, so some VC comes to me and says, Nathan, you know what? Take 50 crores from me. Uh, now, if I'd got, you know, it actually happened, right? As in, someone came with 50 crores, and and. Now, say if 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 I were to take their fifty crores, I would have had to give them liquidity preference. You now, which meant that starting that day, if any money has to be taken out of the business, the investor has to be paid first before me, right? Uh, so, so now that's a loan, right? I mean, uh, uh, now and also a lot of times this you know there's a certain interest expectation as well, right? As in, so the guy who gave fifty crores will say, you know what, I need at least ten percent a year. Before you take any money out, I mean, I think it's a loan. <laughs> so it's, uh, uh, of course, uh, and and that you know, money brings in obligations, and you know, like you are then forced to do a bunch of things that you wouldn't have done. So, so I think uh, people who don't need there is this you know like there is all I don't know. So many people have told me as well saying that if you know when someone's giving money, take it because when you want it, they won't give it. You know and I don't know, I mean. That's the most common advice these days, right? Like the next 18 months, 24 months are going to be really hard. Even if you don't want money, take it because you're not going to get it later. Right. You know, if you're a profitable startup, I mean, of course, you know, if you are, you know, you're still not sustainable and resilient and you need money, of course, you need to go take it. But if you're a profitable startup and you don't need money, I don't, I don't see, I don't see any sense of anyone taking money at all. I mean, of course, you know, you're taking a secondary and want to take some money off the table. It makes sense. But if your business doesn't need money, why why even bother? You know, so it's um, yeah. So I mean, that's how I think about it. <laughs> do you often change your mind, and is it is it an easy thing to do, especially about things that you may have had strong belief in? Strong belief in mm, not very easily, but but I am generally otherwise quite open to you know like being proven wrong and you know change my mind. I, I've done it multiple times, you know, and uh, I personally think. To the extent that that's probably one of my personal strengths, you know, in in my life, which is not to be stuck to what I think life is about and et cetera, and, and change. Does it. that come 
as a trader because traders understand that market's constantly changing and there is no constant so therefore you are yeah, to be yeah, prepared I, mean, i think i think yeah trading you know in a way and i think it's also a little bit of genes as well you know? so i think i can look at my dad and kind of tell us more yeah no i mean he's a he's a bank manager he was a bank manager for like 30 40 years whatever and uh, you know he's attempted a bunch of businesses and lost money and you know uh, while he was working and uh, but he was you know he's always been i mean even my mom is an is a very entrepreneurial of sorts and you know? she used to teach veena first she set up a flower shop uh became a landscaper and you know i mean today she does, you know she goes around playing veena wherever there's an opportunity to play um and uh, and i kind of see a mix of uh, both of them in me of sorts you know i mean i have like this whole optimistic nature from my mom and this whole my dad uh you know not you know taking losses to their heart and and being open to you know listen to people and then change the view and all of that you know so um so i think i think some of these has to be genetic as well right as you know and you can't just claim that everything is you know, <laughs> you know is, is what you learn from uh, whatever you've done in life what's your most reliable hack or method to learn something new i mean are you okay. do you have a method i mean I, i don't know if i have a method but i'm one of the things i personally realize is that um i know it's cliched but uh it's I think you have to constantly keep pushing yourself to learn something new you know I mean I I know I try to pick up a musical instrument uh you know I mean I'm I have a problem that if if it's not, I don't find it interesting I, I switch off very quickly but but at least the first 20 30 40 hours of you know I I put in a lot of effort I what was the most recent thing I mean I've been I've been trying to learn a, a piano you know and um um kind of like it but it's just I mean I also like playing the guitar so it's uh it's just there isn't i mean enough time left you know today uh but um yeah so uh, i think uh, because i i you know if i go back 20 25 years of my life uh i've been a below average kind of a kid through my school and college and um but today when i compare myself in terms of skills to you know, a lot of my peers who are like right at the top of my school you know i kind of feel that i've kind of you know maybe in terms of skill sets i i'm i'm there and uh, i'm not talking about business i'm just talking on life skills of sorts and and i think that is because the last 20 25 years i've just constantly attempted different businesses and all these multi level marketing different kind of jobs and learning different instruments playing different sports you know i think every time you do something uh something different you kind of tend to you know i think slightly improve in life and uh and and that and yeah i think it eventually compounds Do you think that drive will exist in your son as he grows up because that drive comes from <laughs> right. a very different history and past and as, have as, you had that discussion with your wife when right now on top of my list of things to do is that is to help him help figure how do we keep him interested in you know constantly being curious and 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 learning because it's very easy for him to take it for granted and and also the problem is uh, everyone around him make him feel special because he's my son and so he kind of is starting with a disadvantage of sorts and uh, yeah so uh, so i think for me like for the next 5 10 years i think the biggest task in my hand is is just to uh you know kind of help him figure what's the you know what's the best things for him to do in life you said you're always open to learning and and you're self driven learner what kind of a teacher are you and you have to teach others anyone 
I, don't, I, I mean, I, I'm trying to think. I mean, uh, in the office, I teach quite a bit, but outside office, I think my wife says I'm a really bad teacher because, <laughs> you know, because I've, I've tried to teach her, you know, like stock markets, and you know, and she she gets irritated quite fast. My son likes it, you know. So I I spend you know, like half an hour, forty five minutes every day with him in the night just before sleep, you know, just reading up something and you know discussing about. It. So. Uh, in the office, it's very tough to figure out because everyone will say, you know, dude, you're a good teacher. <laughs> what, what's your method? Like, you know, uh, is it some kind of, is it a structured approach? Is it that when you see something, you're like, come sit around with me, I'll tell you something. Is it? Yeah, it's not structured. It's 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 really, you know, using every opportunity and, you know, like as a, as a learning opportunity and just make it simplified uh, so people can figure. What are you afraid that most people around you probably aren't telling you? Because... Right. You're the CEO. Yeah, you know, I think um, 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 in the business, I think uh, I've tried to not be like a CEO, but unfortunately, everyone tries to look at me like one and uh, you know, look at me as a boss, etc. So usually, problems come to me only once. It's kind of, you know, especially around this, you know, people problems, right? As in, it comes to me when it's really deteriorated to a significant level. And it's become very hard to spot it in this whole work from home kind of a situation. Because at least in the office, we had two big offices before, and uh, now everyone's distributed. So you can't even figure who's having what issues. And, and a lot of people don't even like talking personal issues over a Google chat or you know, on a Google Meet call, et cetera. So, so yeah, so I think, I think the problem has only gotten bigger now as in people, personal problems, you know, I mean, it's very tough to figure if everyone's happy and satisfied with their jobs because everyone's claiming to be happy and satisfied. Don't employees want to come back to office? I think, I think this whole um, people uh, working from, you know, like smaller towns and cities, I think it's just extreme amounts of bang of bang for their buck types, you know, as in, you know, like a lakh rupees in a city like Belgaum takes you a long way versus in Bangalore, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, I mean, every time I've even indicated that if you guys want to come back, you know, there's a lot of resistance. I don't think, I don't think anyone will willingly come back. And, uh, and I think for most of the, you know, most of the jobs at Zeroda, we don't really even want them, you know, uh, to be coming back if they're enjoying what they're doing. You've said in the past that taking time out like you know, from work has been a big challenge for you and, and personally you would want to figure out a way to switch off a little bit more and spend more time with your family. Has that been something that you've <laughs> improved on? I'm right. Notice I'm not asking you to solve for <laughs> right. improved yeah. on. Yeah, no, thanks to my wife, you know, I'm at least forced to travel every once in a while. But the problem is, you know, even when I'm traveling, it's, it's just the ability to, be, to be switched off, you know, I mean, that, that I'm... Still, still struggling, you know. So I mean, it's um, it's really hard not to constantly think about work. And do you have any methods? Do you meditate, for instance? Is find it, it really hard. I mean, I mean, like I said, in swimming, I'm forced to meditate. I mean, not meditate of sorts, as in at least. Yeah, it's like a Zen calm under the water. Yeah. It's immersion. Yeah, and, and I'm usually swimming alone, so you know there isn't you know you're not worried about bumping into someone and etc. You know, so it's. Uh, um, so that is is quite peaceful. I mean, even even I think when I'm running, you know. So usually I have a, you know, I, I shoot hoops for like twenty thirty minutes every day, and you know. So I'm I listen to some good music and you know I'm shooting hoops and that is also like very almost meditative of sorts. But I can't 
you know i can't sit down and meditate meditate meditate, meditate. <laughs> i get that what are two or three of the most common adjectives your colleagues might use to describe you i know i know for sure people call me like like this whole extreme zen kind of avatar you know because uh um maybe i don't know like a version of stoic uh you know stoic zen whatever you can call that um um i think you know, people call me like a fitness addict of sorts you know so because i'm constantly i need like some physical activity every day is there anything that being a parent has taught you about yourself or revealed to you about yourself yeah I, like i don't have too much patience <laughs> you know i mean uh, i've i'm i'm spending a lot more time with kian uh, you know once he started making sense which is you know post 5 like before that you know when i i didn't really do do too much of diaper changes and all of that you know so uh, i i thought it's a lot of commitment and i uh, but yeah but so i was not very patient in in that sense so which right um so therefore the next question i think answers itself how would you rate your performance as a ceo and as a parent <laughs> as a scale of 1 to 10 uh as a ceo maybe 8 7 or 8 as a parent after kian turning 5 maybe 7 or 8 <laughs> maybe before that maybe 4 or 5 <laughs> all right uh seema isn't in the room otherwise we could have crossed check this with on a scale of 1 to 10 how happy are you with life I don't know if I could be happier. Ten on ten, all right. Um, how do you spend your weekends? Yeah, I mean, um, it's uh, it's you know trying to not binge. <laughs> so, but but uh, but yeah, but I uh, I play uh, footballs, basketball. I I'm trying to get a little bit of music, uh, and spend some time with you know with with Kian and all of that. Right. Is there a particular morning? of the week that you look forward to the most or are they all the same now it's sunday mornings because i'm playing football you know so i i cycle to this place you know early sunday morning when the roads are empty and i used to cycle quite a bit when i was younger but you know it's almost become impossible today you know? that's and, right we are bangaloreans you don't need to tell us that <laughs> so so yeah so now uh, you know sunday mornings cycle play football come back you know i think I, it's quite do you read books a lot not really i mean i'm i listen to a lot of podcasts but but uh, not too much book thanks a bunch nitin i think you've been a great sport i want to end with this quote that you'd said once earlier we will charge for equity trading only as our last resort if that happens that means the world has gone to the dogs <laughs> you haven't started charging for equity trading yet yeah. yet so the, we are assuming the world hasn't we'll be watching for <laughs> zero that last <laughs> cheers Thanks a ton for taking the time out Nathan. Thanks thank you. Really appreciate it. Yeah, pleasure. And that was the interview. If you've made it this far, I would love to hear what you thought of the conversation. What did you love? What did we miss? What would make these episodes even better? Write to us at podcasts@theken.com. That's p o d c a s t s@theken.com. I'll see you again soon.